0: blog talk radio hi everyone i am Shivana johnson ceo and founder of all about us global media productions group tv radio and magazine CEO of the Whitney E. Johnson Foundation, Incorporated. We are a 501C3 organization on a mission to educate, engage and mentor our parents and teens in communities on current issues surrounding our youth. Today we are asking for your support to continue providing our informative programming through our various media platforms. To make a donation, visit the Whitney E. Johnson site at www.wejfoundation.org or you can reach us at 631-521-7699 for more information. And as a reminder, all donations given are tax deductible. On behalf of the Whitney E. Johnson Foundation, we thank you for listening and your support.
1: All About Us Radio is sponsored by Roger and Shavonna Johnson and the Whitney E. Johnson Foundation. You can like us on Facebook at All About Us Radio Media Group or follow us on Instagram at Radio. Also, check out our website at www.wejfoundation.org or give us a call at 631-521-7699. Thank you for tuning in to All About Us Radio.
2: Greetings and hello. My name is Dr. Renee Charles. I am a neurocoach, a mind and brain ambassador, and author of the new book release, Remembering the Trauma and Healing It, with the Trauma of Change System Model, which leverages neuroscience and spirituality for trauma healing, deliverance, and recovery. I want to welcome you to my new show, Real Talk with Dr. Renee, where we'll have an authentic dialogue about all things related to the mind body and brain connection during our time together we'll talk about how to maximize brain potential in your personal and corporate space develop new mental maps and success strategies to overcome traumas and other life's challenges we face every day I do look forward to talking with you and taking your calls and answering some of the questions as we do life together live on this show. Listen, you may be on the road driving home, sitting at your computer, or on your way to the gym when Real Brain Talk airs. I want you to pace yourself and get in position to optimize your brain. Join me on All About Us Radio. On Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And follow me on my social media outlets. At Twitter, it's at Dr. Renee Charles. Instagram is Dr. Dr. Charles. And Facebook is simply at Dr. Dr. PhD. You are listening to All About Us Radio. Hello, I am thrilled about having the space to add value to those who in turn will add value to others, empowering them with new information that can be revelatory and transformative. Our time together will include an authentic dialogue discussion about all things related to the body, the mind, and brain connection. As you listen to the AirPlay Weekly on All About Us Radio, And replay the previous show, you will become more familiar with the brain-directed strategies that I will go over with you on a weekly basis on how to manipulate your thoughts and manage feelings and the corresponding actions to those feelings for peak performance and learn how to optimize your brain intentionally. You know, most people have little to no knowledge of how the mind and the brain operates outside of the understanding that, you know what, we all have one. So we are socialized to be familiar with the functions of our body parts and the 10 related systems, but not so much about this little three pound organ that's sitting in our head. You know, our DNA makes us a part of the human race, but our neurology makes up who we actually are. So what is the definition of neurology and the meaning of neuroscience, sometimes called neurobiology? It is the scientific study of the structure or function of the nervous system and the brain. Last week, we spoke about the differences between the mind and the brain. The distinction between the two will be a redundant mantra on this shelf. Every time you learn something new, new neural pathways are established. When new neural pathways or a mental map are established, you create new habits, and you change the structure of your brain through neuroplasticity, because your brain is really kind of moldable. It's really kind of plastic. In fact, your brain does not really truly optimize its growth until you're about 25 to 30 years old. So whatever you do consistently for 30 days can become a habit. And what you do consistently for 60 days can become a practice. And whatever you do consistently for 90 days can become a life practice. The key term here is consistency. The brain is a habit-producing machine. It loves habits. It does not like a lot of changes. And so when you are consistently doing something, the brain must adapt to it. This is why addictions are so, so hard to break. But that's another topic for another show. Let's become familiar with the brain. It is a three-pound organ comprised of 100 trillion brain cell connections that interprets information from the outside world and controls all of the functions of the body, all 10 parts of that system. The brain is tangible. It's a physical component that we can weigh, we can touch it, we can feel it, and see it once detached from our body. Typically, when the autopsy is done, they do remove the brain, and the first thing they do is weigh it to see how much shrinkage there is and how much damage may have been caused by either alcoholism or maybe a gunshot wound or dementia or uh, mental illness or whatever that happens. It will certainly display itself when weighed and examined. So what's the difference between the mind and the brain? The mind is entirely different than the brain. And although many people think the mind and the brain are the same, but they are not. And as you listen more and more and more to this show, you'll be able to actually stand flat-footed and defend that position with anyone that you talk to. The mind is an invisible, non-physical component working in tandem with the brain. You cannot touch the mind You cannot weigh the mind. You cannot see the mind. So the mind is your ability to think and to feel and to choose in that order. The mind is a limitless bat of energy-producing thoughts. So every cell in your body has its atoms lined up in such a way that it has a negative and a positive voltage inside and out, like a battery. So when you think, you feel. Your thoughts are not your feelings, and your feelings are not your thought. Your feelings is a response to whatever you're thinking. So when you think, you feel in response to that thought. And when you feel, you then have the option of making a choice. And you do make a choice. And actually, a non-choice is, in fact, a choice to not to respond so, we are the collection of all of our choices. In fact, I love to say that we are defined by the choices that we make. So, when you have a non-physical thought, it's emanating from your mind and it creates a physical impression in your brain. So the ideas that are generated in your subconscious mind controls your life. We have between thirty thousand to one hundred thousand thoughts. Each day, you may say, wow, Dr. Charles, where do you get that notion from? I can't even think that many thoughts. Well, you do. And the good news is that you can decide to decide to take authority over your thoughts and change the trajectory of how you respond to situations even the old ones that didn't put you in the driver's seat. You know, my brother used to say, Eric, he used to say he's now deceased, but he used to say to me, uh, may you either drive or you be driven, meaning you are either in the driver's seat of your thoughts and emotions or you're sitting in the back or on the side of the driver. Well, we all know that passengers have no real control and must sit and be patient wherever the driver decides to go. So today, our study topic is going to be on how the mind and the brain actually processes empathy and grief, and the steps one can take towards healing it. So right now, we're going to take a a short break, and right after we play the song, Big, by Pastor Mike Jr., we're going to get right into the discussion. You are listening now to Real Brain Talk with Dr. Renee on All About Us Radio.
3: Let's
1: go. I don't know what you're going through, but we stopped by to tell you that what's in front of you is bigger than what's behind you. Your destiny, your promise, your future. You might as well shout before you get it. Because God sent me here to tell you that what He has for you is going to be big. I believe that it's my season.
4: That it's my season. You
1: ought to declare that over your own life. Say, I believe. I
4: believe
1: that it's my time. It's
4: my time. It's my
1: time. Breakthroughs in the room. Breakthroughs in the room. It's yours if you want it. Anticipating.
4: Anticipating.
1: God's getting ready to move. God's getting
4: ready to move.
1: Listen, you ought to declare this over your own life. Say it. I know God, God He's working. is working a miracle Just for me. Just for
2: Well, we are back. You are listening to Real Brain Talk with Dr. Renee on All About Us Radio. Let's do life together live on All About Us Radio. Contact me at 516-666-8424. I'm interested in your comments, your questions, and really um, listening to your thoughts about what you've heard thus far. So as we become familiar with the components of the brain its structure, um, and its function, you will become empowered to add value to others and be the author of your own actions. During the first segment of last week, I addressed from a neuroscience position why we grieve at a distance, yet a very meaningful connection to the death of Kobe and Gianna Bryant and those who perished in the uh, helicopter crash. In our discussion, I briefly started and about and stated about how we often live vicariously through those whom we identify with, whether it be their success, their victory, their championship, or even their pain. The Latin influence of the word vicarious means substitute. So if you're experiencing something vicariously in some non-physical, indirect, or spiritual way, you're a substitute for getting something secondhand, meaning that their success, their hopes, and their dreams actually feels like your own on a subconscious level. And so you remember when I talked about those 30,000 to 100,000 thoughts that we have a day? Only 5% of those thoughts are remembered consciously. 95% of those thoughts that you have every day actually are experienced in the subconscious level of your mind. So today I wanna deepen the discussion on the expression of empathy and grief. Our emotional reaction to events are triggered by what we hear, see, taste, smell, and touch. Those are our five senses, which provides us with information on how to feel. So when you see or hear or experience sadness or happiness, the brain processes it through the five senses and translates it either into sorrow or joy. So behavior and expressions of emotions, whether it's grief or pleasure, can be mirrored with a synchronization of one's feeling um, through vocalization. If you hear me speaking, if you hear my voice sounding very sad, I'm crying and you just met me and I'm just like in tears crying. My voice is, 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 is shallow. It's, it's challenging. You will experience a feeling just by standing in front of me or anyone else who's crying. Your brain is wired that way to adapt to how individuals are feeling. And so we experience what's being experienced by someone else, both implicitly or explicitly. This is called a shared exchange. Um, we call this an emotional ketogen, contagion. C-O-N-T-A-G-I-O-N, meaning that the expression is contagious, and it's not limited to humans, but it's also found in other primates as well as dogs. So emotional contagion is a phenomena of having one person's emotions and related behavior directly trigger a similar emotion and behavior in other people. Let me make this live. So you're sitting in a room with people, and someone just begins to start yawning. And then somebody else starts to yawn. And then another person starts to yawn. Do you think that the yawning was self-directed because you really needed to release the oxygen in your body? That's what actually happens when you yawn. You are releasing excess oxygen in your body. But the fact that you see someone doing it it becomes contagious, such as laughter, happiness. If you witness someone, this is static, they're so happy, they're laughing. The joy will kick up also in you. This is how our brain is wired, so the impact of a painful event also affects our emotional experience, our brain circuitry, and the release of certain brain chemicals. The expression of empathy and of compassion is actually activated in a component of our brain that I talked to you about last week called the cingulate gyrus. It's a subcortical brain area located within the cerebral cortex, which is actually the CEO of of our body. We call that the CEO of the brain. And this cingulate gyrus is one of the brain structures that um, actually – functions in a way that connects sensory input, sensory through our five senses, touch, taste, hearing, smell, right? Um, How it connects those inputs to our emotions and emotional responses to pain. And how we make decisions based on those inputs. Um, It also includes how we process the pain. And distress of others and making sure that we, we segregate our emotional state from that of other people. You know, we have an incredible um, three-pound organ, uh, you know, that the brain has always been compared to the, the computer, um, the, the components of the computer um, that really process the data processing of, of uh, information. So the word empathy is derived from the root word I'm um, called M E M. It's and in its Greek meaning, it means feelings. That's what it actually means in Greek or the free feelings of something. And the P A T H, the second component of uh, empathy, um, means to enter into or connecting to the feelings. So when we talk about pathways, right? When you think about pathways, you think about transportation, a way too. So according to Carl Jung, he's a former Swiss uh, psychologist and psychiatrist. He said that the collective unconscious is a part of the unconscious mind, which is shared among beings of the same species. He also said, and I quote, while every one of us seems to think that we Operate independently. There's a part of all of us, all of us. Our mind is shared by um, together a collective thought process. So when an event occurs with someone that you have a, a vicarious or an indirect connection with, like Kobe Brown, Kobe Bryant, you didn't know him personally, um, but yet you felt some kind of way when you heard the tragic loss of him and his daughter and the other individuals on. On the uh, helicopter, and you're trying to figure out what's kicking up in me that I'm feeling so sad about someone that I never knew. Uh, And really, I don't even watch basketball. What is that about? Well, this is how the empathic response happens in your brain. So, when a sudden, abrupt, and tragic event like the death of Kobe um, Bryant that um experience is shared collectively and is experienced in the brain. we call the mental workspace, and it affects a population's response, so a group response as well as your individual response. So we label the group response as collective grief, which is defined as the feeling, uh, a, a sense of loss, a sense of despair, helplessness, Um, and we we experience this collectively with unrelated others, people that we don't know, such as a community, as a society, as a village, or a nation as a result of an event um, that has happened, and it kicks up um, this sense of grief within us. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about how we respond to grief. We just reviewed how the brain responds to empathy. And we're going to transition to talk about how our brain responds to grief. But before we do that, we're going to take another break for your calls, And we'll be right back after playing this song, You Don't Know Why by Zicari Cortez. And we will be right back. Don't forget, you can give me a call at
3: Five
4: one six eight four two four You don't know what I've been through. Let me my story with you All the things that he brought me
3: through My stormy
4: days And my rainy days You don't know All the tears I've cried The things I've kept Bottled up inside Trying My best To be strong Waiting on God And holding on
2: And we are back. You are listening to Real Brain Talk with Dr. Renee on All About Us Radio. So we're ending the segment on empathy, and I want to end with this summary. Um, Expressing empathy is said to be an indicator of one's level of emotional and social intelligence. When you possess a higher degree of emotional intelligence, you're able to harness more of one's humanity, and brain potential. So let's shift on and shift between um, expressing empathy to how we process um, grief. So the expression of grief may manifest in in physical symptoms, such as a headache, um, shoulder pain or back pain, the inability to sleep or eat, um, often brought on by an increased release of the stress hormone cortisol the hippocampus which is our our storage for our memory is very very sensitive to to stress in fact stress chronic stress can actually shrink that three pound brain so we want to be focused and we want to be able to to learn strategies on stress reduction listen trauma happens and when it does it occurs unannounced and often without warning or your permission When an emotional resources are inadequate, yours is inadequate. You don't have the ability to cope with the external threat to your psychological safety, trauma happens. The verbal and nonverbal language of grief is universal to all humanity. Death occurs, again, as a sudden unannounced event, often unexpected, and unmerited affecting survivors' well-being not only on a personal level but we also experience it collectively i know you've heard in the past why did that person have to die why why didn't this other person die people who are who are damaging uh, the, the the world raping children kidnapping children why are they alive and the good people have to die you know i don't have the answer to that cuz good things do happen Um, Bad things do happen to good people. Uh, The grieving process um, occurs in different stages. We do grieve. Noted author and expert uh, named Kubler-Ross articulates a five-stage framework of denial, um, which includes anger, bargaining, depression, um, which helps us Frame and identify one's reaction to grief and what we may be experiencing en route to the ultimate acceptance and adaptation to life without the person we just lost. So these five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance are part of the framework that makes up how we learn to live with the one we just lost. And they are tools to help you frame and identify what we may be feeling, but they're not stops on some linear timeline of grief. Not everyone goes through all of them or in the prescribed order, and no one can tell you how long to grieve so in the days to come, the public will have a visual a visual period of mourning, and it will begin with the the funeral of all who were lost on the helicopter crash. So bereavement is a period of mourning after a loss. Mourning is a normal psychological process that follows the loss of a loved one or someone that you loved or something that has died, whether it's a pet, an opportunity, um, whether it's um, a, a, a lost object, um, you know, grief does, is not limited to just the loss of a person, but grief is the accompanying emotional state to mourning. So the expression of grief, it's a natural and holistic healing process in response to an acute event resulting in a significant loss. So we talked about the five stages. And so let me start with stage number one, we call denial. Denial is the first of the five stages of grief. It helps us to survive the loss. In this stage, the world becomes meaningless and overwhelming. Life just actually makes no absolute sense. We're actually in a state of shock and denial. And we just go completely numb. We wonder how can we go on and if we can go on, and why we should go on. We try to find a way to get through each day just simply. So denial and shock helps us to cope and make survival possible. It it helps us to pace our feelings of grief. This is a, a kind of a grace period in the denial. In the natural way of letting in only as much as we can handle. So as you accept the reality of the loss and start to ask yourself questions you unknowingly begin the healing process but as you proceed all the feelings you were denying they really begin to surface the second stage is anger anger is a core feeling and a necessary step of the healing process a lot of us are not really in touch with our core feelings and Often when we ask you how you feel, you'll tell me how you, what you think. I say, how are you feeling today? Um, I'm all right. All right is not a feeling. All right is, is a context of a thought. So we have to begin to become familiar to express ourselves in feelings and be able to take authority over what it is that we're feeling. So many have little experience in confronting feelings of anger. We usually know more about suppressing anger than feeling it. Anger during the second stage of grief is just another indication of the intensity of your love for the loved one, and you must be willing to feel your anger, even if your anger is with God, even if it's anger with the deceased. How dare you leave me at this time that I need? What am I going to do without you? And and it's okay to express your anger. Um, both verbally to others, and anyone who loves you will understand this process. The more you truly feel it, the more it will begin to dissipate, and the more you will heal. But the more you try to repress it, it will become more of a problem. The truth is that anger really has no limits. It can extend not only to your friends, the doctor, your family, yourself, and your loved ones who died, as I said, also extend to God. Many people who do have a a, a really powerful relationship with God um, can't even really pray during this period of of grief and mourning because it becomes so overwhelming. People may ask, "Well, where is God in this? Underneath all this anger and pain, you're in pain. You know, who is He? I thought you had a relationship with Him." You know what? It is natural to feel deserted and abandoned at this stage. Anger is actually a strength, and it can be your anchor, giving you a temporary structure to the nothingness of the loss. And at first, grief feels like being lost at sea, and you, and there's no way to connect to anything. Then you get angry at somebody, maybe a person who didn't even attend a funeral, perhaps a person who isn't around, maybe a person who is different now than your loved one who has died, you know, I want to just kind of give a a, a a warning statement to those who attend funerals. Please learn the things not to say to the bereaved. Like, you know, God doesn't make a mistake. Um, yeah, we, we, we know God is, is omnipotent and, and we know that He is powerful, but no one wants to hear that when they just lost a child. No one wants to hear that when they just lost a loved one. Or, oh, well, you know, he's in a better place. Well, what better place are you explaining to the the bereaved about their husband at your side? You know, the number one stressor in life is number one is the loss of a spouse. Number two is the loss of a child. So please be mindful of the things to say and the things not to say. If you don't know what to say, shut it down. Say nothing. I'm praying for you. And that is if you need my support, if you need me, call me. Well, you should know that people will need you in this time of distress and grief. Do the right thing. Be there. Can I go shopping for you? Can I help you with the kids? Can I bring you something to eat? That That's humanity. That's an expression of empathy. Let's go on to number three. Bargaining is the third stage of the grief process um, bargaining kind of happens in the anticipatory transition state before loss. Someone was given a, a, a diagnosis to live three months, three months, six months, uh, next week. And it, you know that the diagnosis has been laid in such a way that there's no way out. There's no healing. Um, and you begin to pray and you begin to plead and bargain with God. And you would say, Please, God, um, I will never be angry with with, with my wife again if, if you just let her live. Or I'll never do this in the same way that I've done it before, if if you just let them live. I I'll, I'll turn my life over to you, God. I'll even I'll even accept you as my Lord and Savior. Just do this one thing. Do not let this person perish. This is the part of bargaining. Now, guilt is often um, connected to the bargaining stage. And you say, if only I could do this. If only I would have been a better husband or a better mother. If only. Um, You know, guilt says I did something wrong. Shame is the response and feeling of I was wrong. So the fourth stage is depression, and after bargaining, our attention moves squarely into the present um, with empty feelings, um, and they present themselves, and grief enters our lives at deeper and deeper levels than we could ever, ever imagine. This depression stage feels like it would last forever. Just know that this form of depression is situational. This is not similar to clinical depression that we see in mental illness. So we do know that this, too, will pass. However, no one could tell you how long it's going to take before it passes, and how you're going to be able to um, transition from this stage. But when a loss fully settles in your soul, the realization that your loved one didn't get better this time and is not coming back is, is depressing. So if grief is the process of healing, then guess what? Depression is is one of the many necessary steps along the way. And the final stage is number five, is acceptance. Acceptance is often confused with the notion of being all right or okay with what has happened. We're never okay with with the death of a loved one. This is not the case at all. Most people don't even feel okay or all right. Um, after the loss of a loved one. This stage is really about accepting the fact and the reality that our loved one is physically gone and recognizing that this new reality is is a now a permanent reality. We will never like this reality or make it okay, but eventually we accept it. We learn to live with it. It is the new normal with which we must learn to live with it. We must try to live now in a world where our loved one is missing. So your life has been forever changed um, when there's a a loss, and we must learn to reorganize our role, reassign them to others, or take them to ourselves. Many individuals um, may have not learned how to do a lot of the things that the loved one did for them, and so now it's like for a wife who never paid the mortgage, her husband did or didn't know where the bank accounts were, or didn't me- balance the bank book. This is a new a new normal, and so you have to begin to adjust to those changes. So instead of denying our feelings, we have to listen to our needs. we got to move forward. We have to change. We have to grow, and we have to evolve. Um, when we do that, and when we reach out to others and become involved, we can now develop a new pathway for us. And we begin to live again but we cannot do so until we have have given grief its time grief has to have its time you know life is a journey and you can decide and choose how you want to show up in life whether whatever stage that you might find yourself in remember that there are no timetables for the process and will unfold at different points in time what are the steps we can take to facilitate the transition from feeling wounded bruised even disillusioned let's take a break for your calls right now. Um, This was pretty heavy when we're talking about the five stages of, of, of grief. After we played the song, the best is yet to come by Donald Lawrence. on Real Brain Talk with Dr. Renee on All About Us Radio. So we're at the last stage of today's broadcast, and I want to share with you a couple of points and strategies um, to transition through grief and mourning process. Number one, talk about it putting forth the great sustaining memories about the loved one. You you need to talk about how great those memories were. And, And those who love the person who is actually experiencing the loss, talk to them about how important that person was to you, good memories about that person. Number two, write about it with pen and paper, not typing or texting. Do you know our brains are hardwired to interpret the written word and react to descriptive passages? So the part of the brain that is associated with speaking and writing is the frontal lobe. This area is also responsible for movement, reasoning, judgment, planning, and problem solving. When you are writing something down with a pen and a paper, you are stimulating collections of cells in the base of your brain known as the reticular activating system or the RAS. This is a filter for all of the information your brain needs to process. And it gives you more attention to what you are currently focusing on. You can choose to focus on the physical loss of the loved one or the great joy and positive experience that you enjoy together. Life is about choices, and you have to choose. Choose to be a victim or to be victorious. Number three, you have to take care of yourself. And you got to get plenty of rest and hydrate the brain. The brain is one of the essential organs in your body that needs to be kept on high-octane fuel, and I mean water. Um, your brain is approximately 70 to 85% water. And the brain function depends on having an abundant access to water to maintain your focus and preserve memories. Number four, prayer is always in order in all situations. Know that it's not uncommon or not um it's not uncommon for you not to know what to say to God in prayer about this. Even if you have an active daily prayer life, it just may not come. The words may not come. God sees and knows your thoughts before they are form, according to the word of God. Prayer unto God is a demonstration of your reliance upon him. He already knows, but he wants to hear you um, say that I'm praying, or he wants to experience your reliance on him. Number five is mem- memorializing the loss of a loved one is a cultural activity, whether it be at a gravesite or an a- anniversary of the date that the person departed from the earth realm. It's a personal choice that has long-term implications that one may want to discuss with a professional psychotherapist like myself. So um, you can decide to memorialize every year very much as they memorialize the tragic um, tearing down of the World Trade Center, it just reactivates the trauma. So you know what? In the upcoming show for pre-Valentine's Day, we will talk about how romantic love is experienced in your brain. It's not experienced in your heart. It's experienced in your brain and why it actually hurts so much when there's a breakup. A divorce, a betrayal. And we're going to talk about your brain on love. And during future shows, we'll be speaking about my new book release, Remembering the Trauma and Healing It with the Trauma of Change Model, a faith based trauma recovery system, available right now on Amazon. Be sure to purchase the book and the workbook as we will be spending time going through some of the chapters on shame, guilt, and rejection and how to rewire your brain through neuroplasticity and shift from being a victim of trauma to being a victorious warrior, taking up the position that allows you to maximize potential to have a global impact in your community and in the world. Join me on All About Us Radio on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will have a permanent link for you to log on and follow me on Instagram at Dr. underscore Renee underscore Charles t- at Twitter at Dr. Renee Charles and on Facebook at Dr. Renee Charles, Ph.D. And that's D.R.R.D.C. Ph.D. Email me and let me know what you think about our show today at contact at Dr. Renee And you can visit my website at Dr. ReneeCharles.com as well. Well, at this point, I'm going to say goodnight to you and leave you with the words of this song and our last song on my playlist, Make Room by Jonathan McReynolds. I hope you like my playlist and my songs. I select them just for you. And we'll see you next week. Don't forget, Real Talk with Dr. Renee on All About Us, right here. god
3: bless and have a great day are there any questions
2: i think we may have a question coming up the question reads says when you go through the stages of grief of the loss of a husband Is it possible to go through the stages several times? Absolutely. You can repeat the same stage um, over and over until you gain mastery in that stage. Again, there is no select order of those stages. It's not a linear um, um, response to what you're feeling. Uh, As I said, losing a husband is the number one stressor out of ten stressors known to man that is the most difficult to navigate. Thank you for asking that question.
3: Is there another question? Alrighty, Uh, I don't think there's another
2: question. So we're going to move to our final airing of our last song. Oh, hold up. There may be another question. Okay, no, that's another question. So we're going to move on to our final song um, by Jonathan McReynolds. And I'll see you next week on All About Us Radio. God bless. God bless. Greetings and hello. My name is Dr. Renee Charles. I am a coach, a mind and brain ambassador, and author of the new book release, Remembering the Trauma and Healing It with the Trauma of Change System Model, which leverages neuroscience science and spirituality for trauma, healing, deliverance, and recovery. I want to welcome you to my new show, Real Talk with Dr. Renee, where we'll have an authentic dialogue. About all things related to the mind body and brain connection during our time together we'll talk about how to maximize brain potential in your personal and corporate space develop new mental maps and success strategies to overcome traumas and other life challenges we face every day I do look forward to talking with you and taking your calls and answering some of the questions as we do life together live on this show. Listen, you may be on the road driving home, sitting at your computer, or on your way to the gym when real brain talk airs. I want you to pace yourself and get in position to optimize your brain. Join me on All About Us Radio. On Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And follow me on my social media outlets. At Twitter, it's at Dr. Renee Charles. Instagram is Dr. Dr. Charles. And Facebook is simply at Dr. Dr. R. Ph.D. You are listening to All About Us Radio.
1: All About Us Radio is sponsored by Roger and Shavonna Johnson and the Whitney E. Johnson Foundation. You can like us on Facebook at All About Us Radio Media Group or follow us on Instagram at Radio. Also, check out our website at www.wejfoundation.org or give us a call at 631-521-7699. Thank you for tuning in to All About Us Radio.
0: I am Shivana Johnson, CEO and founder of All About Us Global Media Productions Group, TV, radio, and magazine, CEO of the Whitney E. Johnson Foundation, Incorporated. We are a 501c3 organization on a mission to educate, engage, and mentor our parents and teens in communities on current issues surrounding our youth. Today, we are asking for your support to continue providing our informative programming through our various media platforms. To make a donation, visit the Whitney E. Johnson site at www.wejfoundation.org or you can reach us at 631-521-7699 for more information. And as a reminder, all donations given are tax deductible. On behalf of the Whitney E. Johnson Foundation, we thank you for listening and your support.